You're listening to a message from Christ's Covenant Church, where we are growing together in Christ as a caring community of disciple-makers. Thank you for listening, and please feel free to share this with others who may find it helpful. If you're not there already, please uh, turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 11. It's a, it's a real privilege to be able to share with you this morning from this passage. You know, the thought of preaching a single sermon on prayer is overwhelming to me. But as the Lord has uh, spoken to my heart over the last few weeks in preparation, I'm excited to see what God would say to each of us and as a church this morning through his word in Luke 11. And I want to say I appreciate Pastor Larry's kind words in the welcome, but I just want to say to you that I don't come to you as one this morning who feels like he has this area down in my own life. This is an area that I stand up here with you, and I need to grow in, and I want to grow in. So I'm a, it's been a, just encouraging and challenging to me the way spirit, the Spirit has spoken to me in preparation for this, and I'm excited to see how the Lord will encourage us and spur us all together. I do want you to know this morning that I'm not going to be singing uh, for, for a couple reasons. One is I don't have the gifting of Pastor Mark in that area. And I love you guys too much to put you through that pain. Uh, and also, I don't want to be responsible for somebody falling over tomorrow morning. So uh, I will not be singing today. So uh, I, uh, let's start and read, if you would. Follow along with me as we read Luke 11, 1 through 13 here, and then we'll see what the Lord has to say to us. This is the word of God. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And, And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within. From within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything, because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given you. Seek and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. I read a quote recently by pastor and author Kevin DeYoung that really caught my attention. Listen to this quote. 
He said, if all your prayers came true this week, who would be converted? Whose marriage would be restored? What great gospel advance might there be? What missionaries would be sent out? I'll have to admit to you, when I first read that quote, I felt a little uncomfortable. I mean, if Mr. DeYoung had asked me if I'd prayed this week, I think I'd been fine. I can think of several times that I prayed, thanking the Lord for food, praying for people. But I, I have to admit that the bigness of this prayer made me evaluate the quality of my prayer life. You know, often as a pastor, I get to interact with you and other believers. And as we get to a heart level and we ask each other ways that we want to grow in our Christian life, one of the areas that is very frequent and common is that we want to grow in the area of prayer. Tim Keller wrote a book on prayer. And he said, to pray is to accept that we are and always will be wholly dependent on God for everything. Now, I would venture to say that most of us here would agree with Dr. Keller on this. But I think a better reflection on how much we believe this would be to actually evaluate the quality of our prayer life. Don't you think? In our first sermon of this year, Pastor Mark encouraged us, he challenged us as individuals and the church to grow in three areas in 2019. He encouraged us to increase in our evangelistic efforts. He, uh, he challenges us to have a growing dependence on the Holy, Holy Spirit. And number three, to have an increased focus on discipling the nations and the generations among us. I hope that you've remembered those and that you're praying for those. If not, this is a little friendly reminder. Because Christ Covenant Church, the truth is, there's no way that we can accomplish these goals apart from the help of God. A couple weeks ago, a few of us pastors went over to Akron for a regional conference with other Sovereign Grace churches, uh, pastors from our region. One of their fellow pastors, Tim Kerr from the Toronto Church, gave a session on principles of prayer, and it was one that really struck me. And he called it the principle of the prayer gap. And that is a principle that one of the hardest things about prayer is that small gap between thinking about prayer and actually praying. I think we can all relate to the tension that we experience in this prayer, prayer gap in our own life. So my goal this morning, the thing that I hope that you will take away my main point, is simply from this passage to encourage us all to, to grow in the privilege and discipline of prayer. And instead of beating you up, telling you to try harder, heaping guilt upon you, which none of us need because we live with that low-grade guilt, sometimes greater than others, all the time. I want to seek to encourage you by observing how our Savior and his prayer life, some things that we can learn here in Luke 11. So we're going to do that in three ways. We're going to look at Jesus as our example, how Jesus models prayer. 
we're going to look that see that Jesus commands us to pray from this passage. And then lastly, we're going to close with how Jesus delights in our prayer. So first of all, Jesus is our example. He, he models prayer for us. Luke 11.1 1 says, he starts it, he says, Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. You know, there's over 30 different instances in Scripture that record uh, Jesus, some examples of Jesus' prayer life for us. Jesus had a very intentional, personal prayer life. Luke even tells us here again that he was praying in a certain place, uh, that he was very intentional. He gives a little color to that later on, Luke does, in chapter 22 when he uh, describes Jesus. He said that he went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and he knelt down and prayed. Jesus was very intentional. He, he was scheduled. Prayer was, was so important to him, here the Son of God, that he made sure that it was a part of his schedule of his life. He looked forward to that. Several passages in the Gospels tell us often Jesus was alone. Uh, the Gospels describe that he often went out on a mountain to pray. I like the way that the Gospel of Mark records it. And Mark says this in Mark 135. He says, And rising early in the morning, he went out while it was still dark, and he departed. And he went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Jesus was very intentional. He was very personal. He sought to be alone. That time in his own life uh, was something that he made sure was a big part that was scheduled for him. And so I want to ask us, what about us? What adjustments do we need to make to grow in this alone time with our Savior, with our God? How do we need to grow in our personal life? Does my schedule reflect the intentional value of prayer in my life? What are some of the distractions that I need to remove? Jesus valued that alone time with his Father. And I, I pray that we will grow to value that as well. But not only did he have a a very intentional private prayer life. Jesus often prayed in public. You will remember many of these. Often he prayed before miracles. I mean, we just a few weeks ago looked how Jesus cried out to the Father before he, he raised Lazarus from the dead. You know, kids, have you ever thought about why we pray before meals? Uh, you know, it's just something we do. You know, Jesus was our example. All four of the Gospels show us that Jesus was intentional about giving thanks to the Father and acknowledging uh, where our physical provision comes from when he thanked the Father before feeding the 5,000. You know, I love the fact that the Gospels record that Jesus prayed for children. He loved children. You know, as I was thinking about this, and our goal of discipling the generations among us, I think, man, what a wonderful wonderful, vital means of our discipleship here in our church for us and for family. That we would be intentional like our Savior, maybe in, in those scheduled prayer times, in our family worship, in our prayers with our children before bedtime, but also, as Jesus was, that there are opportunities that came up in life to show our need and dependence on him 
you know, as their children face, have certain fears. If things come up, even in, the, in our, our family, that we need to seek the Lord on, that our children see us and we have them join us in crying out to the Lord. What a wonderful means of discipleship. You know, I'll never forget the thing that had a huge impact on me as a young man would be as I'd go to look for my mom. I would go toward her bedroom, uh, her door would be shut, and I would hear my mom's voice. And I would kind of creep closer, and I could hear my mom crying out to the Lord on her knees in tears for me and my five sisters. Crying out to the Lord for the salvation of my dad, for hard things going on in our family and in our life. What an example, but what an even greater example that our Savior was. I mean, look at even some of the important events going on in his life that he always bathed with prayer. Luke tells us that before he chose his 12 disciples, that he prayed all night before he chose them. What an example. He prayed before his baptism. He, he prayed before his trans, transfiguration. He prayed before his triumphal entry in Jerusalem. We have an extensive recording of his prayers in Gethsemane the night before his death. And we even have three of his prayers recorded for us on the cross. His last words and his final breaths breaths were a submissive prayer to the Father. So as I think about all the ways that Jesus prayed, both privately, publicly, spontaneously, it's not hard to see that Jesus, not only did he see in his human form as the Son of God, his, his dependence on his Father, he acknowledged that in prayer. But also see that he enjoyed that fellowship. He looked forward to it. He, he was renewed and refreshed in those times. And I pray as we reflect, my, my heart would be this morning as we reflect on the prayer life of Jesus, that that would encourage us as well to want to grow in those intentional times of prayer, in those spontaneous times where things come up in our life, that our first response would be to go to him. You know, I'm ashamed in my own life, convicted of how many times I act or I make a decision without praying. And I want to grow in that. I hope that we will grow in that in Christ's covenant church. That we will see our need and dependence as our Savior did. We should be asking one another, have you prayed about this? In our marriages, in our families, in our life groups, just in our friendships. Encouraging one another to grow in our dependence on Him. So I hope this morning as we reflect on our Savior's prayer life that you are encouraged and motivated by his example to grow in our dependence and prayer. Jesus modeled prayer. But secondly, we see in this passage that Jesus commands us to pray. Look at uh, the, the, one of the disciples that had asked him, Lord, they, they saw him and said, Lord, teach us to pray. And he said in verse 2, he said to them, when you pray, say. He didn't say, if you pray, he didn't say, I, I hope you pray. He didn't say, if you want to pray. But he said, when you pray. He makes that command a little more explicit down in verse, starting in verse 9 when he says, And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. 
there is an expectation for his disciples and for us as well that vital that prayer will be a vital part of our relationship with him. John MacArthur says that our prayers should be like the persistent asking of a desperate beggar. Is that our is that our posture toward prayer that we are we're beggars we're desperate beggars and we see our need to persistently ask. You know, a few years ago, our staff, um, our father's house, the local minister here, used to be up on Argonne Road. And they used to have a free meal to the public on Tuesday afternoons. And we went to Roz, the director, and we asked her, he said, would it be okay if we come like an hour before lunch and have our staff meeting? And then we would like the opportunity to help serve, volunteer and serve the meal. And so half, half of us, would serve the lunch, and half of us would eat with the folks coming in, and it was a great opportunity. We got to get to know them. We got to hear their stories. We got to pray with them, and the Lord gave us opportunities to share the hope of Christ. Well, I'll never forget, after a few weeks, I was talking to Roz, and I said, Roz, I said, how do you know who is really in need and who's just taking advantage of the free food here? And I'll never forget what she said. She said, you know what, Rod? She said, if they're desperate enough to come to a soup kitchen for a meal, I'm not worried about whether they need it or not. And as I think about us as beggars and our need of our Savior, I ask us, do we see our need for prayer? Do we understand our helplessness and dependence on him for every every need we have? Hudson Taylor was a missionary to China, he said this. He said, the prayer power has never been tried to its full capacity. If we want to see mighty wonders of divine power and grace wrought in the place of weakness, failure, and disappointment, let us answer God's standing challenge. Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. So I ask you this morning, do we believe that Jesus' command for us to pray is for our good? That he wants what is best for us? That it's a way that we grow in our dependence and sweet fellowship with him and we come to, to understand his heart, his perfect will for his glory, but also for our good. Before I go on, I just want to briefly touch on some hindrances to prayer. As I was reflecting on this, even thinking about my own life, I think one of the biggest hindrances to prayer is a lack of faith. That we don't believe in the power and the benefit of prayer. And one of the ways that we prove that is by our prayerlessness. We simply don't pray. I think related to that is, is a false view of prayer. That prayer is is meant for us. It's meant for God to give us what we want. There's a dangerous teaching in the prosperity gospel that says if, if you just have enough faith, God is obligated to give you what you what you claim and that and tell him to give you. That's a dangerous heresy. And and for us, God is not our genie in a bottle. So prayer isn't designed for us just to meet our own selfish wants. It's meant for us to draw us into perfect communion with his will and his perfect design for us. 
I think another hindrance to prayer is unconfessed sin. Isaiah 59.2 says, your, your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from him so that he will not hear. I can think about the times in my life that my prayer life just felt dry. And as I would ask the Lord, I would ask him to show me. He would reveal to me areas that I had not repented, ways that I needed to make things right with people in my life, areas of sin that I didn't want to let go. Lack of faith, a false view of prayer, unconfessed sin. I think one last one I'll mention is what I'll just call deep roots of bitterness. You know, this may be a disappointment for you, something that didn't work out. It may be a broken relationship, something someone did to you or said to you that you just haven't been able to let go. And those roots of bitterness have gone down deep in your heart, and your heart is hard. And so, as you reflect on that, as you think about these hindrances, and the Spirit is speaking to you in one of those areas, I think a good place for us to start today is asking for God's grace in dealing and repenting of those hindrances to our prayer life. So we've seen that in this passage that Jesus models prayer for us. He commands us to pray. And lastly, we want to look uh, in this passage and see that Jesus delights in our prayer. We see that in verse, starting here in verse 11. Jesus says, What father among you, if his son asked for a fish, when instead of a fish, give him a serpent? Or if he asked for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? You know, I think we can all relate to this analogy that Jesus gives here. I mean, giving gifts to people we love, whether it's our children or a niece or nephew or someone we love, uh, brings us great joy. And, and I think the point that Jesus wants to see here, that our delight in doing that, is seeing the delight of those we love. And I think Luke wants us to see that God delights in our delight. When we come to him and acknowledge our need and dependence of him and ask him for things that we can't handle ourselves or we can't do ourselves or we can't control ourselves, he delights in, in, in that posture of our heart to come to him. Proverbs 15.8 says, the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is his delight. You know, I was reminded that in a story I heard. Paul Washer is an evangelist. And in his early years, he was a missionary in Peru, and he helped start many uh, indigenous churches in the Andes Mountains. Uh, later on, though, in his ministry, he was back in the States, and he was director of a missionary society that helped plant churches. And he tells a story that his church in America one time, God put a burden on their heart to take up a, an offering, a collection, a gift, to send Paul Washer back to Peru with funds to help resource some of these Peruvian pastors. And so Washer tells about getting on this plane, getting into Lima like 2 in the morning. And he said, as he was in custom, he said, the Holy Spirit put up 
a heavy burden on his heart that he would go to a certain bookstore. You know, and, and he's, he's feeling this burden and he's saying, Lord, you know, I'm here for a week. I, I'll do that. But that burden, even as he went to his place where he's staying, he could not get it off. And he tells how he got up in the middle of the night. He went to that bookstore in Lima. It was still dark. The bookstore was closed. And he sees a little old man sitting on the curbside. He goes up to this little old man and he introduces himself and finds out that he's a pastor from one of these churches up in the mountains. And he gets to know him a little bit, and he finds out that this pastor's congregation has taken up a collection for him to come and buy resources to help him in his ministry. And as Paul talks to him, he finds out this man doesn't have enough money to even buy one good resource. And all of a sudden it hits him, what God is doing here. And so he's all excited, but he doesn't say anything to the man. They wait till the bookstore opens up, and they go in the bookstore, and Paul Washer is going around, and he's stacking up these resources that he know will be helpful for this pastor. But he's looking out of the corner of his eyes, and this little pastor is, is looking at these books. He's opening them up, and he's putting them back one by one. Finally, the pastor walks up to the checkout counter, and Washer follows him. And he says, well, what'd you do? What'd you end up getting? And he said, you know, all I had, I only had enough money to buy these tracks today. But he said, it's okay. And Paul Washer looks at him and he says, I want to tell you how much God loves you. He says, God laid it on the heart of the people from my church in the state to take up a collection. And I flew down here last night at 2 in the morning. He said, the Holy Spirit burdened me to come here this morning. It's a privilege to meet you. And he says, I want to tell you that God loves you this much. You see these resources here standing on the counter? These are all for you. And I want you to know that God delights in you. He loves you. And brother and sisters, I want you to know this morning that God delights in you as well, just as much. He delights his fellowship with you. He delights to give you good things. I think sometimes our prayers are too short-sighted. They're too self-centered. God wants us to pray bold prayers of faith. You know, a few years ago, we took our daughter to Grace. It was welcome weekend on Saturday, and Dr. Manahan was giving an address. And at the end of it, he said, I want to talk to you parents for a little minute. He said, I want to challenge you to pray deep, bold, thirsty prayers for your students, for your children. He said, believe big things for what God can do in them and through them for his glory. I'll never forget that. And so, brother and sister, I just want to challenge you and ask you this morning. Are you praying deep, bold, thirsty prayers? Do you believe God can restore your marriage or that marriage that is so painful? Are you praying for that wayward child? Some of you are going through some heavy things. You've shared with me even in the last week. Do you believe that God can work? And draw that wayward child to himself. Do you have faith that he can heal that broken relationship? That he can let you go, let you can let go of that root of bitterness that you've been holding on to. God delights to answer bold, thirsty prayers of faith. But you know what? Some kind God calls us to persevere, doesn't he? I mean, we're Americans, you know, we get we like things instantly, right? But sometimes God is working in us and calling us to persevere. 
Many of you know that this past January, my dad passed away. My dad wasn't in the greatest of health, but we weren't expecting him to pass when he did. And uh, as I was speaking with my mom, she asked me if I would preach my dad's funeral. And, and I was absolutely honored to do that because I have many unsaved close relatives and friends. And so I was honored. But I'll be honest with you. I was really struggling before that funeral. And the reason I was struggling is I've been praying for my dad for 50 years that the Lord would show me evidence that my dad had a relationship with him. But I didn't have that. And so I, I was thinking, what, how was I going to share that with the people? And in my own heart, did I, could I trust the Lord in this time? And I tell you, I, I shared that with our life group, with, with many of you, the, the tension that I was feeling. And I'll tell you, the Lord just gave me an amazing peace. I just, just like he spoke to me and said, Rod, you can trust me in this. I understand what you're feeling, but I want you to know that I love you. And I'm going to use this for my good. And I still feel that tension. I mean, I wish I could say to you that the Lord spoke to me audibly, audibly and said, Rod, your dad's in heaven with me. He didn't. But he gave me a peace that I could trust him. And sometimes, friends, God works in us to, to remind us that we can trust him uh, no matter what happens with our prayer. But keep coming with him. God delights in our prayers. But I think there's even a greater principle in this. And, and uh, we're getting toward the end here. I think there's an even greater principle in this passage. Look, look at the end of verse 13 for me. Jesus says this. He says, you know, he's talked about I would love, love to give good gifts. But he says, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Brothers and sisters, the greatest gift that God gives us is himself. He gives us the hope and the joy of a relationship with him. That no matter what's going on in our lives, nothing can separate us from his love. Just think about this gift of the Holy Spirit, of God himself to us. Think about the specific ministry of the Holy Spirit. God's word tells us that the Spirit convicts us of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Romans, Paul tells us in Romans that the Spirit is the giver of life. That he's our comforter. That he sanctifies us. And one that I really hope will encourage us to mourn. And Paul tells us in Romans that he helps us in our weaknesses. That there's times when we don't even know how to pray. The words just won't come to us. And Paul reminds us that the Spirit, God himself, intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Brothers and sisters, that's one of the greatest gifts of all. That God gives us himself. Through our Savior Jesus Christ. And so this morning. As you. Reflect on your own. Your own life. I just want to remind every, us all here. That prayer. Is for every person here. Whether. You have never trusted Christ as your Savior. Or you've been a believer. For 50, 60 years. And so if you're here. And you've never trusted Christ. There's one prayer. That Jesus. Has for you. And that's the prayer of blind Bartimaeus. In Mark 10, uh, Mark records for us 
that Jesus was walking by and blind Bartimaeus heard that Jesus was by and he cried out in a loud voice, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And if you're here today, that is a prayer as a non-believer that Jesus will, will hear. And I beg you to please not leave today without crying out to Jesus for mercy. He will hear that prayer. He will answer. He will give you the greatest gift that you've ever been given, the gift of himself. I would be glad. I would love to talk to you about that if you're here today and you want to pray that prayer. So please don't leave here today. And for the rest of us to remember, and maybe we need to start as the disciple did. Lord, teach us to pray. Prayer hasn't been a part of your life that that you know that this is an area that you've been very reactive in, that you know, maybe every now and then you, you post a prayer emoji, but you know that your life is one that's not marked by true prayer. And so I pray today that maybe you would have a desire, you would be encouraged to want to grow in the, in the discipline and the benefit of prayer, that you would ask the Lord to teach you to pray. And that as a church, we would seek to grow in this area. What a privilege. Not only in our personal prayer life to pray together. What a privilege. I tell you, one of the blessings of just being in biblical community in our life groups. One of the things that we really emphasize in our life groups is to pray together. And, uh, and so, Jen and I are so thankful for the years that we've been with our group together. The hard things that we've been through. But they have prayed with us. God has used that to encourage us, to remind us, to help us to persevere. The value of praying together and to be able to pray with them, to see God work in them and still some hard things that they're going through even now. To remind them that he is worthy, that he is our hope, that we can trust him, to not to give up. 